You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from Hawkins Labs in the Upside Down. Vocal fam. Hello. It is season six. What? Oh my gosh. No. Season six. We have been doing this sitcom for six seasons. (laughs) We are joined by series regulars, regular recurring stars, starring (laughs) as Yvonne Redmond, everyone. Yvonne Redmond. Hey! And, Hello. And starring as Dr. Joshua Glasner, Dr. Joshua Glasner. Woo-hoo. You're right. I mean, come on, season six, no applause track. Yeah, we're really, you know, Wait, it's funny. let's I create think... it. Let's create it. With oh, we're just all going to start clapping. With latency. <sighs> and, <sighs> and of course, Sarah and I are here. Yeah. Sarah and I had opera auditions yesterday, and yeah, fortunately, we we ended up having, obviously coming out of the pandemic, at a smaller school, we had very low numbers last year yep. for our opera auditions. We took that number times three, so we did very well for year two. That's a big percentage increase that Joshua could tell me the math on that I don't <laughs> not going to try to do. <laughs> Um. Anyway, Vocal Fam, we are back with uh with regular Vocal Fam, who we're thrilled to have here t- today, and um we wanted to do this episode because uh Yvonne um was kind of the kingpin behind all this, but Yvonne got Joshua and I uh together to do a little presentation last summer at Nats uh, National in Chicago called F- and we called the session "Flipping the Voice Pedagogy Frame." Um, so, Yvonne, kind of what was the genesis of, of this little thing we did? Well, that little thing called COVID. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, whew, I got, to, I was given the vocal pedagogy cl- course that um, semester that, um, at least at Illinois, when we all went to spring break in March of 2020, none of us came back in person, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so over spring break like so many of us we were all just scrambling to figure out how do we get online how do we teach online and all of this stuff and uh, it it became pretty clear to me by the end of that semester that students weren't so fond of the zoom Brady Bunch kind of way of teaching and (laughs) I wasn't either it was like I mean we teach vocalists they are in and engaged and talkative and as we know in zoom Nobody is, right? It's, uh, it's really just hard to get people to speak up. And so uh, it was pretty brutal by the end of the semester. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to start figuring out what to do. And I was struggling for ideas on how to deliver material in a way that could be interesting, somewhat interesting. And I just started reading learning science. So uh, that eventually got me to um, Bloom's revised taxonomy that I know we're going to talk about a little bit and the flip classrooms and because I just thought on Zoom I can't I can't get all this information in uh, at one and one sitting and also too uh, it was you know I 
I realize now that there was it was just kind of um, you know people were filling out uh, assignments and they were doing little quizzes, but the stuff wasn't sticking. It wasn't enough, and um, kids just weren't engaged. The students weren't engaged. I was getting disappointed, and and so that's really what happened. Um, and I started thinking about my friends who teach pedagogy and started asking questions as we were all just so engaged online and um, and getting other people people's idea like how are you making this interesting I mean what kind of things are you doing on the side and I was getting some pretty good ideas um, on Facebook and I thought wow why aren't we applying more of these and making this pedagogy class so much more interesting and it, consequently that's when Nats was also developing their uh, ideas um, for how to build a pedagogy course in that sequence, the science-informed vocal pedagogy resources, which I'm pretty sure you're going to talk about, Nick. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, we can talk about that in a second. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know that when we started down this path of, of you and Joshua and I working on this together that we necessarily exactly envisioned the session we ended up doing this summer. Um, which I will say very honestly, and, I, and I've said this before, and I said it last time on the podcast, but I just thought that was the most fun I've ever had doing a conference <laughs> session in my life at any <laughs> conference. I just thought that was just, uh, Sarah, you were there. It you was were in fun attendance. and it was um, stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Just as somebody in the audience who's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to say words now. Why was it? Why was it stressful? Well, because I, I don't like talking to people. I get stressed out. And they were, well, y'all are like, oh, go find some people to talk to, and I'm like, oh gosh, this is gonna be good for me. Okay, here we go. And I, it ended up being. Lovely. I, I think the former was the goal. I think fun was the goal over stressful, but I think the probably the primary goal was engagement right which is kind of what you're talking and about and it was and it was it did uh, so i i mostly joke i jest as far as stress and what have you about myself but like it was incredibly engaging it was really cool to apply something right there in in the setting like in the session whereas you know most of them as you would expect you're, you're sitting there you're just kind of listening and you make notes of like oh well this might be fun to try like no you're trying it out right there <laughs> uh yeah i mean we did kick off the session again earlier at the conference and again i mentioned this last time but we are going to have an episode coming up um a full episode with uh lynn helding and john nix and alan henderson who led the charge, who were our three um, actual like chairs of getting the Nat science-informed voice pedagogy curriculum to actually become a thing in the wake of our two voice pedagogy summits and an article yeah. that came out of those. And right. um, But, uh, you know, if, if you'd like to look at those, if you just go to Nats and go to the hamburger on the top right and go to the latest or resources, um, you can get to the Nat Science Informed um, curriculum on Nats.org. Uh, but we did put together a huge list of of, of resources, and in, in terms of um, there was a you know the committee that was doing actual you know things like books and articles and things. There was a huge committee uh, that was on terminology. There was a, a committee on continuing education. Uh, Joshua and I ended up co-chairing the syllabus committee um, putting in some really diligent work on trying to 
take a whole bunch of voice pedagogy professionals syllabi and getting them into a more conjunct <laughs> unison <laughs> syllabus. <laughs> um, and one of the things, and Josh, you can bring up some other things you want about that, but one of the things that we noticed was that there are still plenty of syllabi out there floating around in academic land, um, the fairy land that is academia. Um, it's a magical, mystical place. Horses, unicorns, and no problems. Um, uh, <laughs> I want Nick's version of Yeah, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, no problems. But, but one of the things that we took note of was that a lot of folks still had learning outcomes that were not really written the way I think of writing learning outcomes. Um, let me share just a, a brief... I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but in a former life... Uh, on the faculty of a former institution, I had actually risen to the, to the the position that I was actually chairing the faculty senate curriculum committee for for West Virginia University when I was on the faculty there. And Hashtag it, life goals. Ha- <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> but as such, I've had the privilege, and I would call it a privilege, of reading at an R1 institution a whole lot of syllabi. Like I've read thousands of them and um uh i think the year i was committee chair we probably processed about 2000 syllabi um and um so so i've read a lot of learning outcomes and one of our goals was to make sure that as we created this nat science informed curriculum that our learning outcomes not only reflected bloom's revised taxonomy, thank you Yvonne, Uh, but also that they were written according to really being accessible outcomes which I think Mm. is the is the real is the real key word there right I mean that's the that's the crux of it Um, before we kind of go back to some Bloom's taxonomy stuff Josh do you want to say anything about kind of that what we did through that process of those syllabi well I mean I think it's a I think the really interesting part and, and forgive me like I've been like like nose deep like very very deep whatever the idiom is in accreditation documents so i'm like thinking of things and i'm like no that language isn't good for a podcast (laughs) (laughs) so so just give me some (laughs) give me give me a a a little bit of a longer leash here give me some some grace (laughs) um but but i think it's i think the interesting part um, what I'd add to that, Nick, is the like a philosophical point. One of the things that I've found in voice pedagogy and in voice pedagogy as it relates to performance, one of the major pushbacks is that it doesn't help that I will hear performance centric teachers say it doesn't help to for my students to know all the anatomy and physiology. Of their body like I I don't need that to teach I don't need to know formants to teach right and I think increasingly in voice pedagogy we would agree that the my our students don't need to know those things in order to sing mm-hmm. I mean that um, was one of Sarah and my take-home points at format vision was that you don't exactly. need to know any of this to teach voice exactly well. and so when we're talking about these learning outcomes what we found uh, Nick and I was that we found that the outcomes, the learning outcomes were students will know this, students will know this, students will identify this. But none of that actually gets to voice teaching. Right. Right? 
and when Nick's talking about accessible outcomes, right? We, we both want to know how to figure out if students know these things, but also ensure that we're teaching students how to do the thing rather than just spout information because that's going to honestly set their teaching back a number of years. If, they come, if the thing they come out of VoicePed with is, I know what a cricothyroid is. I know what the difference between F1 and F2 is, mm-hmm. right? If that's the only thing they know, that's not gonna serve their students. And so we went at these syllabi trying to figure out, okay, what are these outcomes that we really think will help students to progress towards actual application? And I think, so it's a philosophical question that we were dealing with. How do we get, um, how do we help to, to nudge voice pedagogy away from knowledge to what we know a lot of our peers in the field are already doing, but how can we standardize actual development of application and practice? rather than acquisition of knowledge. Right. Right, with that active learning. Exactly. It's active learning what sets that deep knowledge um, beyond what you were just saying, the facts, Josh, no question. And nah. I mean, obviously, before we just, I want to, I want Yvonne to talk about Blooms a little bit here and how we, some of these things we used for that. But, you know, I've said this a billion times now on the podcast, in the end with voice teaching you have to get your sea legs which is an action of a thing you do not a thing you learn you know i mean and that's exactly what we're talking about i mean in the end right sarah you've now been teaching voice for a while now yep you've (laughs) you know you've gotten your sea legs under you a bit not a bit like we'll we'll leave it at a bit well no listen (laughs) Listen, I think, you know, those of us who've been doing this a long time, Yvonne's been teaching a long time, I've been teaching a long time, you never arrive No. as a voice teacher, ever. And the moment that you think you do, you should think about yourself again. (laughs) You know, we had that episode way back when on imposter syndrome. And like more and more, I'm like, is this just like the rest of your life? Like, just it's just all imposter <laughs> every syndrome. day. Is this it? Just it doesn't have to be that. I'm just saying that you never. If you think you're the mountain, you should look a little higher. <laughs> um, and anyway, so let's talk about how we worked blooms blooms into that. Yeah, and, let's and talk get, about and that. And what is blooms for our listeners who are are like, yeah. what is a we bloom? Got, is that does that have cover, to do with flowers? Yep, we're yeah, talking about <laughs> exactly. Gardening today. We got to cover some uh, jargon here, I think. So uh, blooms uh, taxonomy already is like what, and then blooms revised taxonomy is even more what. But in the 1950s, uh, Benjamin Bloom and colleagues were uh, educational um, uh, educational specialists, and they wrote a, a book, Bloom's Taxonomy, in the 50s, and that got revised by everybody except Bloom because he passed away um, right before it was published um, in 2000. Um, and so taxonomy, the word taxonomy may seem like a heavy jargon word, and it is, um, but it can be described as like a sequential framework. And so Bloom's revised taxonomy structures learning along cognitive and knowledge continuums from introductory to advancing. And its goals is to assist teachers in constructing course and instructional material with, as you mentioned, valid assessment tasks and strategies that progressively advance toward student independence in 
creating or teaching. And so <clears throat> that's that ultimate spot creating at the top. It's a pyramid structure and of, of six verbs starting at a very basic, working its way up to creating. The student is the creator now. Uh, no more the learner. They're teaching someone else now. And we often refer to that in these circles as metacognition, another big Whoa, jargon word. Big, <laughs> this is a big yeah, word It's a big word for a Friday it's, morning. Yeah. It's, it's so a big meta. word for a Friday morning, but it's like, a great uh, word. Like, so if Deadpool were a professor, like... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I love I, it. I, I had no choice. Like, Deadpool's anyway. awesome. And but you know, and metacognition is um, sort of that set of processes involved in monitoring and directing one's own thinking. So um, the students benefit from getting to metacognition because then they reflect on their own approaches to learning. They are able to mostly accurately assess what they do and don't know and make better choices as a result. So, you know, you can think of metacognition is two things. It's like knowledge about cognition and understanding and then also the regulation or control of that cognition and thinking. So it's, you know, it's kind of this big thing, meta. Um, so, but you know, it's, it's great because um, research on metacognition and self-regulation tells us that students must be able to understand not only the what, the cognitive or declarative knowledge, but also how and when to use strategies appropriately, which are procedural and conditional. Um, so, yeah, so that's what Blooms does for us. And so if someone else wants to kind of jump in and maybe describe what the pyramid sort of is like or. Well, one of the things, if you don't mind, that I was going to mm -hmm. jump in with was then some of these verbs that we used as we were designing the curriculum in the first course. Absolutely. So, I mean, so not that. Not that I would encourage anyone teaching out there, not that every single one of your learning outcomes has to be of like the highest part of this pyramid. Like, please don't think that. No, it's, it's really a progression. The yeah, it's the sequential nature that's important. The progression it's a progression. It. And what but I realized, Nick, was that first semester of vocal pedagogy that I taught, it was just primarily lower level knowledge. Right. I was not helping advance the students to independence of creating. Well, and if I may, I think that one of the difficult things about teaching voice pedagogy is when you take a step back, you realize that inherently voice pedagogy as a discipline is a interdisciplinary thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Health sciences, physical sciences, uh, education science. Educational sciences, um, exercise, physiology science, um, artistry, mm -hmm. musicianship, etc. And so one of the difficult things that you have is when you as an instructor are confronted with this <laughs> wide range of topics you want to cover as much and when you start doing that it's easy to just turn it into an info dump oh yeah and unfortunately 
I think if we look back over the history of voice pedagogy texts, there are those voice pedagogy texts that are great books, and I'm, this is not a criticism of the book, but that are essentially info dumps. And going back to our champion Venard, no yeah. offense to Venard, but that book is an info dump. That was um, my pedagogy book. Um, even some of Richard Miller's writings, I mean, Structure of Singing is in a lot of ways an info dump. And even to go to a more contemporary text, Scott McCoy's book is, you know, is in a lot of ways an info dump. That is not a criticism of those texts. It is just kind of the structure of what they are because they're trying to cover and just give you as much information as possible. I do think there are voice pedagogy texts historically that have not been that. I would cite Jim McKinney's book first and foremost in, in, mm -hmm. in that. While it has problems and it is of a, a, a artifact of its era, um, it was really well an attempt to to make something actionable. Um, but you know, as we were working, you know, through these things for the classes for the for the science based curriculum. You know, I'm, I'm just going to read the outcomes of the first course. Like, we made the outcomes of the first course identify an anatomy and physiology of the vocal instrument. So uh, that, that's a lower-level action, identify. Yeah, okay, fine. Absolutely. But we do need to have some of that base knowledge, you right? I mean, that's where you got to start. Base, like. Co correct. But then we get into evaluating vocal function related to respiration to the shuns. Mm -hmm. Okay, the uh, innumerable famous shuns of voice pedagogy. Um, create and adapt exercises, vocal eases, right. and teaching methods to improve vocal efficiency related to the shuns. That's a pretty high-level outcome. There you go. That's your goal. Analyze diverse interdisciplinary voice pedagogy literature. I mean, there's there's some. It's a moderate tier, I think. Yeah, it's it's uh it's one of the middle higher ones yeah. of blooms. And and then finally identifying warning signs of voice health concerns and be able to articulate when to refer out to other disciplines. Those were our those were our outcomes. Um because again, that's obviously when you're, you know, something you need to know as a young teacher. There are it's not that when you're teaching a class you never convey knowledge, right? It's it's not that. Or even in a voice lesson. Sometimes you do in a voice lesson just Sure convey some knowledge right right yeah it's a thing that happens of course in voice lessons now our motor learning research is telling us just to let the students sing and that's right that's right john Do nix tells thing. a story john nix tells a story about barbara da watching barbara dosher teach his wife for the first time and she just vocalized the same vocalese for 30 minutes and john <laughs> wow. said something along the lines of and you know 30 minutes later she was singing a lot better <laughs> so yeah anyway well and it's a thing we got to teach our students you know too isn't it when they're teaching others they get they get so excited about what they learn in a pedagogy class and then they just start dumping it on the poor student so i always start every pedagogy class saying now remember this knowledge is for you and you keep it here but when you're teaching a voice lesson please let them sing well, and yvonne <laughs> don't you think that's really the bedrock of what we were trying oh, to yeah. the three of us were trying to put out there during that so we were trying to say why would a student go into a lesson and just info dump well they would right. do yeah. that if they yeah. went to a voice pedagogy class and were themselves info dumped 
So if they do a voice pedagogy class, right, if they complete a voice pedagogy class in which the application of knowledge, the application of, of the actual voice teaching was mentored and critiqued and, and um, prioritized, yeah. right? What are they going to do in the lesson? Exactly. They're well, going you... to have singers sing. And yeah. on that point, one of the things, and Sarah can verify this, because I was saying this way back when she took practicum. One of the things I always get on my practicum teachers about in the, <laughs> in the program is as the very first time they get up, what they want to do is, yes, they want to do a five-note scale and a lip trill. But, <laughs> but. Um, not a ragdoll? Not a ragdoll? Uh, no. <laughs> what they, but what they want to do is they, they're, they're, student that's in front of them what i'd use that in quotes their student that is in front of them they let them sing five notes and immediately it's like oh no okay now i want you to have your sternum high and i want you to have your belly in and then you're going to do this and you're going to inhale through a straw and inhale a rose and then you're also going to make lots of pharyngeal space and then you're going to do this with your tongue and then this with your and then this vibrato and and all the sudden and slow and yeah. Well, so two things about like having done practicum with you. I remember several times because there were a few times like I did practicum undergrad, practicum masters, and then during the masters also like I saw I um, was a assistant for some of the undergrad classes, so I saw a fair number of practicum classes happen. And multiple times, I don't know if you remember this, you you started timing how much this, like, certain people were talking in their lessons. You're like, you just taught a 30-minute lesson, and that person only sang for eight minutes Oh, yeah, that's it. what, I would do that. So I, would, I actually timed the amount that the students sang. sang. So, like, he would tell them, like, hey, do, do you realize they only sang for, like, this many minutes of it? So he did that several times. And then there was one time where... It was an undergrad class and a student came in, like someone from that was not a music student came in and was taught in front of the class. Like it was kind of a volunteer thing. And this person like they, they had some pitch struggle. Like they weren't oh. quite on the pitch, but the girl who went up to work with her, it was like she just like he was saying, she just did vocalises for several minutes. And over the course of them, all of a sudden, this person started matching pitch and it was such an interesting point and it was so rare that like this undergrad would just she just she just kept doing scales she just kept doing her thing and like eventually she got there but those are like two of my most mm. m memories i don't know they just they yeah. stick in my brain from that yeah was yeah. that the same class where the girl with throwing stars was identified yes. I had an undergraduate yes. student come in, and an undergraduate was teaching yes. her, you know, guinea pig situation. I hate to use that word, but you guys know what but I mean. Y'all know is. what I mean. That's not like I'm trying to be nice. And, um, and uh, practice student come in, and uh, this young woman came in very creative, obviously, in her life. And yes. the, the student teaching her goes, you know, it's like when you're, you know, when you got frisbee. your throwing stars, and you're just going to throw stars? one of your throwing stars at something. <laughs> And and I I believe Michael was in there with yes, you. Yes, because and, I'm pretty sure and, Michael's the and one Michael that was said like, do you, throwing stars. Do you actually have throwing stars in your bag? <laughs> and the girl goes, and she pulled out a throwing star. Yep. <gasps> why don't know if you're question, really supposed to why have Why was the question those? not, do you really throw stars at people? 
<laughs> like, look. Wow. Then, then the student. There's a lot of levels. To in the this same, in this same very strange <laughs> teaching, the it question, the else. question was asked. You know, like when you're listening to your Gregorian chant, and sure enough. The girl's favorite type of music was Gregorian was like chant. And I just didn't even know that human... Well, we sure we were, like, existed. so mystified by what was going on. It was a weird day. It, it was, was a like, weird it day. It was a weird day. Was the Gregorian chant also the person who had pitch matching issues? Yes. Was it? Well, that yes. makes sense then. The limited <laughs> range, right? Doesn't oh, work out the cricothyroid, so it doesn't... Oh, I mean, okay, I all right now. Such, but... All right now, all right now. See, look at that. Now, now, okay, Doctor Glasner's going meta. So, um, so <laughs> going what, meta. Um, tell Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> if Mark Zuckerberg would like to be to a would like to yes. of the Voice True. Vocal Fry podcast, I'm working. I'm working on a new sponsor. I'm just waiting on their reply. But also, if Mark Zuckerberg does. Want to spot? I mean, like, hey, of course he does. I mean, we can do this podcast in the metaverse. It's fine. I would Absolutely. love to do this in the metaverse. That's Whatever fine. he wants. Um. Any. Anyway. <laughs> so, what? Tell us. Tell somebody. Describe the session we did at Nats. Well, I, I mean, I think Yvonne, like we were, we had been talking about this, like, and and all the resources. I think that's where it came from. You said, "Look, I have all these resources and and different things that I have my students do, and no one like really uses these at." In the, she's, you said something to the effect of like not many people a seem to use this. I want to have this conversation and share these Let's resources, have a conversation. which is so very indicative of like Yvonne as a person. I want to share these things with people, <laughs> which is why we love her. Which is um, exactly yeah. precisely and, that. And I, I said, well, and then we brought we brought Nick in, and I and I and he was on board with this, and he already knew about the voice pedagogy curriculum that we've been talking about. Um, and I had said to Yvonne, well, you know, I was teaching music history, like four sections of music history a year. Woof. And woof. And I think that as the story goes, I, I was teaching this course and I don't have a music history background. I'm not a musicologist. Mm -hmm. And I taught the first semester and I started teaching the second semester. And that was like a music in the U.S. course. And... And I got to halfway through the semester and I said, I hate this. My students hate this. Yeah. Don't tell my musicolo musicological musicologist friends, but I hated music history when I was in undergrad <laughs> and I'm teaching it the exact same way. I'm just uh. talking at my students. Mm. Um, not to say yeah. every musicologist teach talks at their students, but in my case, that was my experience at the time. And and I started thinking about different ways that I could could do things that semester. And I, what I ended up doing was I threw out the syllabus. Don't tell my supervisor. <laughs> Don't tell my dean. Um, you have a new job. I have head. a new it's dean. Different. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> oh, my deans love me. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway, or you could always uh, do so, the law thing where you say allegedly. Right. Right. Oh, that's syllabus. right. Uh, thank, well, now thank we you have records. So well, I threw out the syllabus. And the, I remember the very first thing that I, class that I did after I threw out the syllabus was um, about Tin Pan Alley music. Oh. And, and I said, okay, I can throw music at people, I can throw PowerPoints at people, or I can get these music majors and non-majors to do the thing. Mm -hmm. 
And so I had the non-majors in the class write um, lyrics in the form of a Tin Pan Alley song. We, we analyzed some songs. I had them write lyrics in the form of a Tin Pan Alley song. Then I had the music majors take those lyrics and write music to them given a chord progression in the form of a Tin Pan Alley song. And, and that had varying degrees of success because it was a freshman class, but they, by the end of it, they knew what Tin Pan Alley music was, why it was, imp why it was relevant to history and to music history and how, what the form was, which were the three things I wanted them to be able to do, right? That those were three things I wanted them to learn in terms of knowledge, but they learned that by doing. Yeah. So I, I, I suppose I probably realized later that that was flipped classroom pedagogy. <laughs> it was. Right. And so yeah. I was talking to Yvonne and I said, what if we kind of have this? And, and I think, Nick, you were in that conversation too. I said, what if we just frame this whole thing, all of these resources um, through the context of flipped classroom pedagogy? Right. What if we talk about, look, origin and insertion points are really, really important, I think, as a voice teacher. It's really helpful to know those things because it informs what you have a student do. But I don't think it's really necessary for me to sit in a stand in a classroom and go over origin and insertion points for half a semester. Mm -hmm. right. I think it could be really potentially helpful to go over some things, maybe offline, have students do some knowledge assessments, and then actually do it in class. That's right. Right. Actually try to implement practices in class. And so that's what we were really talking about. How could we then, how could we demonstrate this kind of path, this kind of learning model at a Nats conference, right? So mm -hmm. we decided let's use repertoire as, as, a, as a kind of a, an, a, a, an entry point for this. Let's use repertoire and how we can use repertoire to help students to learn tasks or learn uh, skills that they need for singing. Um, and so that's what we did. We showed um, we presented this model very briefly, acknowledging that we would probably present this material offline. And then we had the uh, attendees listen to, watch and listen to a clip of music um, from a student in a lesson, mm -hmm. and then take that music and build an exercise to develop a certain, a certain type of skill. And we spent at least half of the time um, with our colleagues who had varying experiences, varying levels of experience, varying teaching um, educations and performing educations or performing experiences, for about more than half the time, really, they yeah. worked together and collaborated and then shared their the exercises that they would do and the specific skill they were trying to teach their student. And so that was really the... And if I recall, mm -hmm. of I think we had six major groups and they all focused on something different. For the, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I think there were more than six. I think it was more like 12. There, were, was, there were a lot of groups. I think just time. And it was, our, it was the morning session of the last day. Yep. Everybody mm -hmm. was tired. And did that room energize the second we started that? Oh, my. It really did. It was I mean, so... And my favorite one was like... Uh, my favorite group, I mean, I loved all the groups equally, of course, but my of favorite course. group was the one that had Ken Bozeman and Bob Stillman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And yeah. Ginevra Williams. Ginevra Williams. What an intimidating I mean, group. you have someone who, what, what did 
Bob originate the um, Grand Hotel, the Roland Grand Hotel, yeah, was it? Uh-huh. Right? Um, teaches primarily musical theater. You have Ken Bozeman, who primarily teaches Western classical, who has you know de- these decades of experience teaching. And, and that's really the point. Everyone brings their own experiences. Um, and, and, I, and I sense pedagogy and learning in higher ed moving away from this kind of um, centralized place of knowledge to this understanding that there is shared knowledge that can be developed by the, by the group. Right. And I thought that that was just, that, that group and all of the groups were just so demonstrative of that. Yeah. Um, of that process and that change in philosophy that we're starting to experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and that's an element of uh, culturally informed musical pedagogy anyway, mm-hmm. is that people come from cultures that can contribute to building knowledge in a classroom and contributing, you know, the only, the best way to share all that is to sit around and discuss it and talk about it. Exactly. And um, so, yeah, so Josh, you really kind of talked on that idea of flipped learning. And, you know, it's really funny because I think a lot of people think flipped learning is only a lecture on video offline prior to the actual course where you engage in stuff, the, the, the live stuff but so to think of I mean to think of flip learning you got to kind of understand what traditional learning is is and that's the idea that the teacher comes in the room introduces a material generally a lecture and then sends them home with homework and then everybody comes back and then there's maybe a little bit more lecture but in flipped all the information that basic information is introduced prior to ever discussing it in class so that hopefully when they come in they have questions now and terms that they're trying to understand. And and then that's when the active stuff, the higher levels of bloom, the applying, analyzing, and evaluating then come into play. Okay, so now you have these words and you heard these definitions. How do we now apply them? How do we use them in building active learning? Um, and so that's, you know, that's the benefit of com- combining those two things um, is really getting to that point. Um, so that's the fun part. You know, so one of the things that this session inspired me to do, so I am this this season, I am this season, this season, season? what do we call school this year? This academic, this academic <laughs> what, year. What are we? Here in season six. Then we'll take a mid-season break, you know. I <laughs> am, how, many, how many years have you been teaching, Nick? Uh, this is 18 in higher ed. So really a season 30. 35. Like Grey's Anatomy or something. I, I don't want to talk about it. Grey's <laughs> um, Anatomy. Uh, the Simpsons or something. I think I've been in higher ed as long as the Simpsons have been on the air. Um, anyway, uh, but I, I, I am piloting both semesters of the Nats 2 course sequence, um, kind of combining it my undergrad and grad class this semester. My grads will continue on to the practicum semester in the spring. But one of the things that I also incorporated into that was this session inspired me personally so much that I am doing actually nine flipped days that I specifically programmed into my syllabus. I figured I'd do, it's like a soft open. <laughs> um, uh, you know, if you're going to open a new casino in Vegas, you got to do a soft open. Um, so it's like a little out-of-town preview. Anyway... <laughs> Um, but those activities that I'm doing are um, a build a voice teacher, which I'll talk about in a second. <laughs> We're doing a breathing Love philosophy it. breathing philosophy podcast. Ooh. 
that they'll divide into groups and make their own podcasts on their own breathing philosophies. All right. Very inspired I so by love a, that. Very, very inspired by Yvonne Redman. Um, <laughs> we are going to do from the Nats resources the vowel modifying lab in class because I happen to have multiple computers available for them. That's on the Nats website. Very cool. Then we're going to take our exercise that we did at Nats, creating a vocalese for diverse styles of singing. We're going to yeah. do three different styles of singing and awesome. create vocaleses. Later in the semester, we will take those exact same videos and do a repertoire selection game in, as an activity for those same singers that they awesome. already designed the exercises for. We're going to do the vibrato lab off of, off of the website. Um, and then we're, we're going to have just one kind of generic voice lab play day. Um, we're going to do a group voice teaching flipped class where they have to teach the group for group voice purposes. That's a great idea. Okay, yeah. And um, we're also having my ceramics professor come in, and they are going to get to build statue larynxes. Nice! In class. <laughs> okay. And he's going to fire them in the kiln, and they will have those <laughs> That's so awesome. for, for perpetuity. It's actually very cool. Like, you can use a toilet paper roll to start the structure, mm -hmm. and toothpicks to support, like, the, the thyroid the, the, the hyoid bone, and they just burn off in the kiln. That's ah. awesome. Who knew? Who I knew? And, you know, yeah. honestly, Nick, you are hitting on exactly, like, now... I, I, this is the kind of thing I wanted us, uh, uh, those of us who teach vocal pedagogy, like, what are your ideas? Like, what mm -hmm. do you use in your class? Because I need some ideas. Yeah. Um, once you get past the, okay, I think I know what I'm going to teach them all, but then what are the ideas to engage with, engage the students in, in the material and make it super active and fun and and enjoyable and that's like like you're naming off some stuff there I'm like oh Nick we're gonna have to talk about him <laughs> um, I need to I need to bring that right over to my class but you know and I know people do it like for example when Josh when you were talking about insertion points of things um, you know I always think of John Nix's videos where he has his pedagogy students stand up and they all kind of play a part of the of larynx, larynx and then you know they talk about the interactions and when something shifts and when it doesn't and he's put those videos up on um, Facebook and I mm -hmm. thought well that is a bit of brilliant right there I mean it, it really makes them think deeper about the ma making it um, about what it is and how it moves and how it functions and it's Absolutely. such a great idea so well, i think doing allows. something like that when it's paired with the model is a really amazing uh idea well, and it ultimately allows the the you know the young teacher the ability to be more direct with the exercises and tasks they ask their students to do right but mm -hmm. without perhaps with the with the real focus toward ensuring that the students don't just knowledge dump on their students. Mm -hmm. right? Well, it definitely, the, I think, too, kind of pushes and helps, I think, free up. So it's so easy to get in a classroom and you're worried about, like, giving the right answer. Like, oh, I don't want to raise my hand and answer this question because, like, what if I'm wrong or something? But I think when you're having these kind of collaborative efforts and you are kind of showing them already that you're bouncing ideas off of whatever, that there isn't necessarily right or wrong. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, take that with a grain of salt because you certainly could end up with wrong um i guess um but the idea that like different minds are gonna have different ideas mm -hmm. that there are different approaches that you know 
just be open to you're it. You're in in essence modeling how to be collegial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Which is valuable. Yeah, you know I what? Think. That is a great point. That developing soft skills, Josh. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you know, hard skills. What those are the those are the things that go on your CV. And soft skills are are the um, experiences, right? That we have to describe through an experience That's to right. make clear. And so, like your CV has all that hard skill stuff on it. But our statements, the reason we write teaching statements and diversity statements, it captures those soft skills. You know, and so what you're talking about, Josh, is that's spot on. Spot on. Um, go go ahead, Josh. Do you want to say something, Josh? Or oh. no, I'm good. Okay, great. <laughs> so the, I'm the, just like, yeah, Yvonne Priest. So we had our first flipped class this week, <laughs> where uh, for years I've been sharing with my students. Um, in, in in when we did the Ped Summit in Los Angeles, we created a list of skills a voice teacher needed. And we divided that list into skills that they must have, that they should have, that they could have, where they were taught, in the voice pedagogy class, in the voice studio, somewhere else in the curriculum, blah, blah, blah. I've been sharing that list with uh, with classes for since, kind of since we did it. I, I kind of, when, it, when it, before that list was public, I kind of like made them give it back to me and I destroyed it. But um, <laughs> but this year, since now that hey, the, the article, Amelia and Catherine's article is out and, you know, the curriculum's out, whatever. Um, so I took a bunch of those things and added some of my own, and I took one of those $15 limit games where you have a top-ranking tier that each cost characters cost $5, and then a row of $4 characters and $3 characters, etc., etc. And I added those skills to an, a giant Avengers, build-your-own-Avengers team, as uh, as voice teaching skills. So, of, co- of course, the top row, Tony Stark was acoustics. Steve <laughs> Rogers was breathing, of course, because Captain America would have to be respiration in a voice teaching world. Um, uh, Wanda was motor learning. I don't think we, Captain we, America is overrated. Um, yeah. <laughs> we oh geez, we made uh, we made Carol Danvers the singing star voice teacher because I couldn't think of anything. We made Thor a rock expert because it just seemed that appropriate. That was brilliant. Um, and of course, we made Stephen Strange psychoacoustics. We, we made Spider Man body movement. Um, you know. Anyway, That's so right. we just uh, we did this exercise yesterday where my class had to build their own voice teacher. Uh, using this chart, which I'll load to our Vocal Fry social media. It's already on my personal social media, but I'll load it to our Vocal Fry social media too. <laughs> um, but I was, it, it, was a, it was a revelatory exercise having them do it, because first of all, they had to choose. Yeah. And there were some really interesting things that came out of it. Nearly every single one of them, I made Valkyrie a, a skill called Creates a Safe Space. And I made um, uh, bu- uh, the new Captain America, um, ah. Sam, I made him ethics. Mm-hmm. Every one of them chose mm-hmm. one of those two. <gasps> so wow. in case you're wondering, and I had them model this as what do you want your voice teacher to be? Not what do you want to be as a voice teacher? Mm-hmm. Every single one of them in the class chose either creates a safe space or ethics. Wow. So wow. just... For the vocal fam, as a as a note, that w- uh, many of them chose repertoire pro. That was a very popular item. Very cool. Um, 
I think Sarah and I both think they were playing to the crowd. I, yeah, I think they were because a little the bit. only unanimous choice was that they all chose acoustics, <laughs> and we think they like, were playing to their professor. Like, Maybe no. it's possible. Um, you should but, get a grad student to like write it up as a JOS article, like as like a like a quasi like Likert scale. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, the uh, what, awesome. what were some of the other ones? Uh, a, a, a few people chose creative; they liked that Good. as a as a popular choice. I like that someone picked "I am voice." Yeah, one random student. Of course, Hilarious. I made I made Groot just "I am voice" as a joke, <laughs> as the only like non voice teacher skill mm -hmm. on the chart. And of course, someone chose that. Spent $3 on that. Uh, I was going to say, how many of Groot get $3? A couple people, uh, oh I, I made Drax Foster's Independence. A couple people <laughs> chose that. Um, uh, someone chose Imagery with Loki. Oh, very cool. um, nice. Not, not surprisingly. Uh, someone chose Fiercest Belter. I made Gamora Fiercest Belter. Mm. Nice. I like it. I, I like it. Uh, someone, I made Nebula Demanding because I was running that out was of words. That was hilarious. Somebody picked that. Someone picked that. That they oh. want. Actually, so I did this myself for them with my $15. Did you pick Demanding? So my $15 were Stephen Strange Psychoacoustics. Uh-huh. Because I figured if you know that, you already have Hulk's big ears. That's so, right. Okay. That so, I, okay. So, we're, we're tying them in. So this makes went, sense. So, yep. so there was my I – I went with Repertoire Pro because I'm a big repertoire nerd mm -hmm. and I like mm -hmm. my voice teachers to know a lot of rep. So that was that was nine. I chose Creates a Safe Space because I've had negative experience with, vo with voice teachers. Mm -hmm. So that was 12. And then I went with uh, Creative because I actually really love it when my voice teacher can say things different ways and be creative and whatever. And then I went with Demanding for myself, actually as well because I also like while they're creating a safe space for them to push me a little bit and be willing to say hey you know that sucked um, <laughs> uh, so any, anyway it was a fun exercise um, oh my word, and, and, that would just be candor if it was Star Trek it would be candor so you're oh. saying that now we have to make a Star Trek build your own voice teacher. Oh. Wait, wait, are you? How many of these can we make? A oh, Star you can Wars make hundreds. One, a Doctor Who. I well, know what my weekend will gosh. be. We, we uh, had, there we, you go. We had made it. I had. I, I was debating as to whether I was going to make this a Star Trek themed one. But I didn't Avengers think... Avengers was a better call. I think for the generalized student audience, yep. Avengers was the better... You Watch know, out, world. I'm about to uh, make like seven. I just had to like, stay true to that. <laughs> like all those Myers Briggs thing, you know, where you go and you can see the thousands of compilations people have made. I did this have this is coming. I did have a few questions from students. Like someone specifically asked what I meant by imagery. That's I think good, we as voice teachers know what enough. we mean, but someone asked what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Someone asked what props and toys was. Um, and and of In course, fact, <laughs> would you could you explain that one to me? I meant things like flow ball, yeah. resistance bands, uh, balance yes. okay, board. Okay. You know things okay, that yeah. you would that voice teachers use, that you might use yeah, as yeah. as props in the studio. Bands, yeah, exactly, exactly. Bands before. Uh, yeah. I got uh, students uh, who like squishmallows. They love squishmallows. I hadn't considered that one. No one chose uh, uh, T'Challa. No one went with SOVT King. Not what? one student. Oh, boy. Um, what about diction? 
Uh, <laughs> no, but but uh, one or two Yvonne, people. I really like your diction. No one chose diction. However, a couple people chose text interpretation. Oh, that's, oh nice. that's nice. I like that. That they 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 wanted to know that we could that that the their teacher could you know convey meaning to with text. All right. Um. Uh. So anyway, it was a very fun exercise. Mm-hmm. I mean, a uh, really that, good exercise, and it really can be branched out into more knowledge. Sure. Um, I mean, they can. You can say that that presentation has to be, you know, a couple of these that they mm-hmm. picked. Um, mm. And develop, re- you know, collect research on that mm. and share it with the rest of the class or whatever. And how would that? And how would that voice teacher then be better, or could they improve themselves or whatever? Because exactly. one of the things that I said to them was, "Look, in the end, as your own voice teacher, you never really are great at everything. No. It doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to be as well rounded as possible." But we all end up building our own niche pedagogy, I think, those mm-hmm. of us who are successful at this. And I think I, I, think I might have mentioned at, at Nats that one of the things that my... I, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I put up a, a graphic of the different shuns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you did. Of yeah, expression. yeah, yeah. Um, that, that one, yeah, as like potential doors that one could walk through, right? And... And I acknowledge that it was something that I kind of created, um, kind of like as a as a reaction to something that one of my mentors, Chris Arneson, over at Westminster, talks about in in his one of his books. Um, and one of the things that Chris says is, voice teachers know how to go through all of those doors. You know, as much mm-hmm. as I dig on breathing-centric voice teaching, I sometimes go through the breathing door, the yeah. respiration <laughs> door, right? Exactly. Um, as much as someone who might be a, a body mapping teacher might rag right. on the acoustic stuff and the registration. Right. Or resonance stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they might choose to go through the resonation door. Um, but he would say, ultimately, we become really good at one of those doors. And we just tend to go through that door more frequently than others. And I think that's that speaks to your point. Like, yes, granted, that's just the, the skills, right? The shuns rather than the descriptions of a teacher. But we become really good at certain parts of this while acknowledging that it's much bigger than our, you know, primary door. Which sometimes are not even the door that you yourself studied under. I mean, oh, like, this is so true. I am such an airflow teacher, and I never studied with anybody that was, sure. yeah. yeah, like yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and that's like, gosh, that's a big part of my pedagogy. Sure, I I go through that door probably more often than I go through resonance, which I know might yeah. shock some people. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, because, but even that, like being able to acknowledge, like as a student, being able to understand that one might go through an airflow door, but that doesn't mean that you're going through the respiration door, right? Mm-hmm. It might mean that oh. you're actually mm-hmm. going through the phonation door. That's yeah, always yeah. what I'm going Absolutely. through. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> right. And in fact, resonance can be impacting phonation. And having that kind of nuanced understanding Correct. and appreciation of different perspectives is really what we've been talking about. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. So if you're out there teaching voice ped, <laughs> please, on the Nats Live Learning Center, as soon as stuff from the National Conference is over, you can go watch our session 
at the Nats Live Learning Center. And I think it's free right now for the next few months still mm -hmm. for conference attendees if you didn't get to see our session live. And then it will be there in perpetuity on the Nats Live Learning Center, nats.org. Um, and I would encourage you to go actually watch that session. You can see our PowerPoint slides and, and the, the lovely video of the young woman that Josh included in for the singer mm -hmm. and uh, and and our discussion from our groups as I mm -hmm. busily ran around the room with a microphone oh, yeah <laughs> yeah yep. um, in my at that point very wrinkly uh, jacket that I had been wearing for 10 days <laughs> um, so yeah. and anyway Josh Yvonne thank you so very much um, oh, for you. being yeah. beloved parts of the vocal fam and uh, and and coming and joining us here for the first episode of season six. Josh, Ooh. it's your first time back in a bit. Yeah, I think last year we did the Nats thing with. Um, yeah. When was that? That must have in the, been in November, November maybe. November, yeah. yeah. Yes, it has been well, listen, vocal fam. Sarah and I have been busily busy Scheduling. at work. Uh, planning season six here. Ooh. Unlike last spring, which we didn't plan a bit of, <laughs> we have I'm sure y'all couldn't. Tell. We have quite a serious lineup. Although one of the episodes that I'd still like to coordinate that we've not gotten on the books yet, Yvonne, is you and Kayla coming yes. back because we got to now do chest voice. It's time. Like, Let's talk like chest we gotta voice. like like revisit the chest of both worlds. <laughs> um, uh, we'll get so, a whole panel. Uh, it'll it'll be a it'll be a thing. So and anyway, um, that sounds amazing. All right, vocal fam. Well, here we are, season six. Sarah, what'd you have for breakfast? Six seasons of Sarah's breakfast, everybody. Oh come yes, on, I mean, come on. and boy, have they morphed. Over I'm the going years. with chocolate chips. That's my guess. Sorry, it was avocado toast. Oh, <gasps> how right. millennial! I you get some that. pumpkin seeds because they got all your protein and stuff. You put it on, sprinkle a little feta. Like, I get into it. I mean, Sarah, Cherry tomatoes from my garden. You've clearly grown over the seasons. Not really. Yesterday, it was the little <laughs> breakfast biscuits that were brown cinnamon <laughs> sugar. I got up this morning. I was like, I got to eat something that's not embarrassing. Cookies. Biscuits. Cookies. Biscuits. If you look in the cookie aisle, they're not there. Uh-huh. And okay. if you Googled breakfast cookie, it's not. I hope it doesn't come up. Um, but <laughs> if you Google breakfast biscuits, it will come up. Mm -hmm. But that was yesterday, not today. Sure. Today I had avocado toast, so it doesn't matter. Oh, boy. Anyway, okay. thank anyway. you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. We appreciate thank you. it so very much. All right, Vocal Fan, we will be back next next week, I think, with just a just a good old just us, just, just us episode, catch you up on some things. Uh, and I will be sharing throughout the year how my piloting of these Nat syllabi is going, Vocal Fam. So don't worry, okay. you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot about it this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we're actually hoping to have Lynn and John and Alan on twice this season at their request. We'll see. Oh. Great. So we're gonna uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a busy thing. Hey, and listen, if you're out there in Nat's land and you are a Snats advisor, two things for you in your life. If you would update your Snats rosters with me, that would be wonderful, particularly wow. chapter presidents. And a second thing, if you would like to apply for some discretionary fund grants, either an, as a Nats chapter president or Snats chapter president, get those discretionary fund uh, grants in because there's still some money available. So let's do this. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right. Oh. All right, Vogel fam. Peace out. Peace.